The Old Testament text is the 40th Psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud to get uh, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. You have told the glad news of deliverance, and I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your, your faithfulness in, and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, will you not restrain your mercy from me? I'm sorry, let me read that again. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappoint, uh, and, and uh, disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We're told here that David has a new song. We're told that uh, early on in the psalm, in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. I suppose that implies he had an old song. Have you ever thought about um, just how remarkable musicals are? They're, you know, just presented there on stage for us. We have kind of a, I guess, a dumbed-down version of opera, but it's fun. You know, I think about musicals I enjoy, like The Music Man or, say, Oklahoma, or musicals like my wife enjoys, uh, Sound of Music. Gives you an idea of where we disagree, but... (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, musicals are a lot of fun. And one of the things, you know, about musicals that just, you know, makes them fun is that here's a person just all by himself, and he starts, you know, singing. And an entire orchestra, like, comes right in. And I thought it would be a lot of fun to actually live in a musical. Wouldn't it be kind of fun? You know, there you are, just kind of doing your taxes or maybe mowing the lawn, and you just break into song, and the next thing you know, there's a school bus that goes by with an orchestra, and they're all playing right behind you, and, you know, you've got accompaniment. It's just a marvelous thought that, you know, you can kind of go through life and, and just kind of sing your way through it. I, there's also this, this uh, thing that you see in film where you have, like, the theme for a character, like when Darth Vader shows up. You know, you know he's coming because you can hear him. You can hear, it's not his footsteps, but the music. You know, the Imperial March, you know, it, it lets you know that Darth Vader is about to enter the scene. Or Luke Skywalker with that kind of high, soaring, hopeful sound. What would your theme music be? Have you, have you thought about it at all? I mean, you know, if you had a theme song, you know, like in Major League Baseball, when you go up to bat, or when you see, you know, professional uh, players go up to bat, they have their theme song, their theme music. You know, you, I guess you, you just, they just can't. They can't hit without hearing their own theme music, and you've got that playing in the background. What would your theme song be? What was, what was David's theme song before he was given a new song? You know, as I think about the different possibilities, you know, you know I think a lot of folks today, if their theme song, you know, and I'm, I'm going to date myself with some of these titles, but you get the drift. You know, give it a, give it a kind of more contemporary spin with maybe some tunes and songs you know uh, uh, today. But, you know, I think a lot of folks would sing uh, or have played I Gotta Be Me. I got to be me. You know, that kind of thing. Or maybe something like uh, feelings. Feelings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Feelings. A lot of folks who live with their feelings or live in their feelings would have that. Or maybe, you know, you're angry at somebody and your theme music would be like Hit the Road Jack. Hit the Road Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more. You get the drift. You know, there's a kind of theme. And maybe, maybe the themes would change with, the, with the, the, the kind of the, the period of life that you find yourself in. Uh, you know, you're in a different stage of life, so you pick up a new theme. Here, uh, I think David is singing the blues. He's talking about that miry bog. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Now, that's kind of the, the tone that you have with this. Miry bog. What's a miry bog? Well, I, I saw a miry bog down at the La Brea Tar Pits. Marla and I were down there a month or two ago, and we went to the tar pits. And uh, if you get stuck in the miry bog, you're not getting out without help. It's just like a great big vacuum cleaner sucking you down. And the more you work at getting out of the miry bog, the faster you go down. I remember years ago, my wife and I were out in Arizona with a group of kids on a mission trip. And uh, one of the guides, one of the sort of the veterans uh, who had been to this particular site several times, we were in the Navajo Nation. Uh, He said, uh, we're going to go on a hike to the Chilchibido Burial Grounds. And it's a pretty cool hike. You know, it's about 10 miles in. And you have a cliff dwelling or city, a cliff village there. It's not occupied, of course. It's just a sort of a tourist attraction. But you hike in, and along uh, the way, you're following this uh, stream, a stream in the desert. But uh, it was a tricky uh, stream, and it changed course quite often, and uh, it created quicksand. So um, 
this uh, fellow's name was Ken Wells, warned us very, very, uh, you know, sort of strongly about quicksand and how we should stay away from it. Anyways, we're about three miles into the hike, and Ken's maybe 100 yards ahead of him, and he's looking kind of short. You get what the happened. He was in a, 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 a pool of quicksand. He was up to about mid-thigh when we got to him. <laughs> and the more he tried to get out, the worse it got. We had to make a human chain to get him out of, the, out of the bog. And that's, I think, the picture here that David really is intending for us to see. When you find yourself in that spot, there's no getting out on your own. It's uh, something that can just suck you in and take you down. By the way, I think this psalm is the inspiration for that old 19th century hymn, He Brought Me Out of the Miry Clay. Do you guys know that one? It's an old Methodist hymn. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the solid rock to stay. It's kind of one of those washing machine kind of hymns. He put a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. Now that'll go through uh, the, your mind for the rest of the day. It's a great little, little hymn, but it's about this, this event. You know, you can find yourself in a place where circumstances have just sucked you in and are taking you down. And the only way you're going to get out is with some help. And uh, what we see here is that God does give the help that David needs. He's delivered from the miry clay, from the miry bog. And he says, because he's been delivered, he's been given this song, and this song will, be a, will help people see and fear and put their trust in God. Isn't that a remarkable way to put it? I think the notion that you're being observed is something that, you know, is just simply the case. People watch. People are looking around. Have you ever seen people who, you know, go downtown and just kind of sit on a park bench and people watch? Fascination, seeing all kinds of strange creatures go by. People doing the things that people do. And uh, because uh, we watch each other, we often are a source of insight and encouragement and also discouragement to each other. And here, we're told that uh, because he's been delivered and because he has this new song, people will see and fear. Now, fear, that's an odd way to put it. We only seem to think about fear in a negative sense in our society, but when we talk about the fear of the Lord, uh, scripturally, uh, the way we should think of it is it's the beginning of wisdom. So what should that imply to us? Well, I think what it implies is uh, you don't take the Lord lightly. The Lord is someone that you should take seriously. Uh, The Lord um, is to be taken seriously for a range of reasons. Uh, For one thing, he's not mocked, but also he has the power to deliver us. And the fear of the Lord can be an encouragement to us because we can assure ourselves that At a time like this, the Lord has the power to take us up, bring us out of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So it's a healthy fear. But I think it also sends a message to those who are out to get you. I think I've used this line before. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's also kind of the case. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. 
you know, sometimes uh, it's just simply the case. People really are out to get you. And if they see the deliverance the Lord brings about in your life, that sends a message to them. Don't mess with that person. Don't mess with that person. That person has a friend who protects that person, is there for them. And hopefully that person will wonder, how can I have that friend? How can I have the kind of help that this person enjoys uh, when the Lord comes to that person's rescue? Now, because of all this, uh, David tells us that he delights to do the will of God. Did you notice that? You see that in verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I don't think most people think about the law that way. I think most people, I know it was true for me, think about the law as sort of uh, like a tax on fun. So if you're going to have fun, you know, you've got to pay your taxes. And what does that mean? There are certain things you can't do or certain things you have to do. And then when you've done those things, then you can have some time on your own and have some fun. But uh, what the, I think this implies is the paradox of the easy yoke. Do you know what I'm referring to with regard to that paradox? When you hear about yokes, what comes to mind? You know, I, I was a city kid, grew up in an urban setting. I didn't know what a yoke was. What's this stuff about eggs? I don't know. The easy yoke. It's spelled differently, by the way. It's not the same yoke. It's just, it's just that it sounds like you're talking about the same thing. Yoke, by the way, the kind in the egg is, you know, Y-O-L-K. This is Y. O-K-E, just so you know. And it's referring to what we put on oxen or plow animals, right? So take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Well, let me take you to that passage, in fact. It's found uh, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11. And here Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, a day off. Wrong. (laughs) Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The paradox of the easy yoke. It also relates to the paradox of the broad and the narrow ways. Broad is the way, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way, difficult the path that leads to life. There's a paradox here. Things that start easy often end painfully. They end badly. Things that are hard to do initially grow easier with time. And this is what we see when we're talking about this easy yoke and the law of the Lord. Initially, it's off-putting. What? I can't do this? I can't do that? What's all this negativity? All this knownness, ah, this religion thing, it's all about what you can't do. I want to do those things. Well, doing those things are bad for you and bad for other people. And what you're missing is you don't really understand how beautiful and good righteousness is. And what you really want is to learn to love the right thing. That's what you want. You want to learn to love. It's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. It's like sushi. It's an acquired taste. People, you just don't know what good is, Leanne. You just don't understand. Sushi is wonderful. <laughs> but I remember my first experience with sushi. I had a Korean friend 
in college. He took me out for some sushi, and I thought, hey, raw fish, rice, no biggie. Then there was this green stuff, wasabi. And uh, I, was, I was not expecting wasabi, and it came as quite a shock and ruined my evening. But later on, in an odd series of events, I found myself in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania at an Amish diner, and they had horseradish. And I had this hankering for horseradish all of a sudden. I don't know what it was. It was just like there was something that happened in my, my brain, some biochemical reaction, kind of delayed effect, the wasabi. And I just loved the idea of like having my sinuses fried. So I said, lay it on. Lay it on. And ever since, I've been a sushi lover and a wasabi lover. I'll put wasabi in anything. I know it's silly, but when it comes to the law of God, it's sort of like that. Initially, painful. Initially, distasteful. But with time, with growing sort of a familiarity with it, with an appreciation, with a development of the palate... You know, some people really do have a better taste than other people. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought, like, McDonald's was, like, heavenly. Today, I've got a different opinion. And it's sort of like that when it comes to God's law. Initially, it seems like it's too difficult, too demanding, but we can grow spiritually and learn to love it. And really, this is what uh, we ought to do. Now, there are reasons to delight in God's law, and I've already noted that David... Uh, is grateful. He's grateful for the deliverance that he's enjoyed, uh, that, uh, that he's experienced because God has delivered him from this miry bog. What was the bog? Well, we're told that there are some people who are out to get him. That seems to be a recurring theme in the Psalms. And we know for a fact that people were out to get David. We've got stories about it. This is a guy who had to fight for his life more than once. So we're told in the course of this psalm, down in verse 14, that there are people who are out to get him, and there are people who are out to get you and me. He says there, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. So he's delivered from real danger. But he's also delivered in a surprising way from his own worst enemy, and guess who that is? Himself. Look with me at another verse here, verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. Gets us back to the broad path that leads to destruction and the contrast between that and the narrow way that leads to life. There are things that we've done in the course of our lives that have betrayed our own interests. We're our own worst enemies. We really are. Remember the Pogo comic strip, We Have Met the Enemy and He Is Us? We are the problem much of the time. We have a part of ourselves that is allied with the devil, the world, and every enemy that you can imagine to undermine our own interest. It's the flesh. And as we grow in grace, uh, we... Uh, acquire ever greater degrees of mastery over the part of ourselves that uh, undermine our own interests. This is what growth and grace really should be understood as uh, meaning. And we see here that he makes a, an, an allusion to uh, this being something that, that God is really uh, interested in, in 
uh, his life, and I think uh, by implication our lives. Notice that he talks about um, sacrifices, not pleasing God. In other words, there's something that God prefers. So let's take a look at verse 6 here to see what I'm getting at. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Now, the way the Hebrew puts it, it's actually kind of like God has dug into the ear to open it. That's the, the language, the imagery that's employed here. Have you ever found that to be the case in your own life where you just can't hear things? It's not because your hearing is bad. It's because you just don't want to hear. (laughs) There are certain things you just don't want to hear, and so you don't. Well, God has a way of opening the ear. And so God opens his ear, uh, and he learns that burnt offering and sin offering is not required. But what God does desire is what? That we love God's law and that it's written in our hearts. God wants us to, to... to cherish his law, and he wants us to love it. And when that's the case, there's no reason for sacrifice, if you get my drift. The sacrifices are offered because there's been a failure to keep God's law. And what we should be longing for in the course of our lives is growth and grace. You know, uh, we're Reformed. We're known for being you know, kind of dour on this subject, the notion that we sin every day in thought, word, and deed. I think some people take as implying that we just should just sort of like give up and not try to resist, that we should just, you know, excuse ourselves and uh, give, you know, verbal assent to the fact that we're not what we should be, but not take it any further than that. That is the furthest thing from the truth. What we ought to take from the gospel and from the doctrines of grace is that no matter how many times we fail, God's at work in us to willing to do according to his good purposes, and we can make progress in this life. You don't have to do the same old thing over and over again. Now, there will be things that you discover later on in life that you didn't know were a problem but actually are, And so in the course of your growth and grace, it doesn't mean that you leave behind the struggle with sin. It just means that you're moving on to more subtle and pernicious sins to struggle with. The obvious ones, you know, the ones that you should just like walk away from right at the moment of conversion, you know, that's phase one. But over the course of your life, you should continue to grow in grace as you struggle with this enemy that is within who's seeking to undermine your own interests. Now, the, uh, the psalm ends on, a, on an upbeat note, and that's great. We're told here that uh, David enjoys spreading the news about how God has delivered him. And the reason he does that is because God did not hold back his mercy. God did not restrain his mercy. Look and, and, and see what I'm getting at here in verse 11. For you, uh, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And because God has not restrained his mercy, David says, I can't help talking about what you've done. I can't hold it back. I can't restrain myself says there in verses 9 and 10, 
I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. One of the things we have to keep in mind is that we'll never live so well that the beauty of our lives compels people to turn to God. That's the sort of self, uh, I think, uh, well, the flattery of the notion that, you know, you can have a silent witness. Um, first of all, folks are not that smart, and you're not that good. <laughs> you need to put it into words. You need to tell people about what God has done for you. Otherwise, they're not going to get it. They're just going to give you the credit. And here, David doesn't want the credit. He wants people to know that God is the one who's delivered him. And then when we get to the end of the story, there's a, a marvelous way we see as this sort of play out with some Hebrew uh, repetition uh, in the course of a couple of verses. If you look at verses 14 and 15, he says the word let, or the word let is used three times. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their uh, because their sh- uh, be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, "Aha, aha!" Let those people experience these things. In other words, hand them over to the consequences of their own their own plots, their own their own malice. You might have uh, picked up on the truth that often the wicked fall into the pits that they've dug for other people. You see that theme addressed in Scripture again and again. And that's what, that's what David's saying here. He says, let them uh, experience the, re- the, the, the consequences uh, uh, for, the, for the ill intent that they've directed toward me. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Let them rejoice and be glad. That's uh, another uh, thing that's being prayed for here. Let the wicked get what they deserve, but let those, uh, may those who seek your salvation enjoy it in the same way that I have. Lord, Glorify, in other words, glorify yourself uh, as you are just and as you are merciful in my life and in the lives of other people. I think I just would like to say in conclusion a couple of things. We live in a weird time. I don't know if you've noticed this. And uh, I think one of the reasons why we live uh, in the time that we do in terms of the character of the time is because people only use themselves as a point of reference when it comes to knowing or thinking about how to live or considering the course of their actions. Because they have any reference point outside themselves, there's an odd sort of paradox to this. They don't really know themselves. And as they pursue what they think uh, is good and in their own interest, they warp and distort and even... uh, 
destroy their own bodies in the process uh, through various things that they're uh, doing to sort of be me or to be themselves. But what we see here in this passage and throughout the Bible is if you really want to know yourself, the way to do that is to know God first, to look to him and his law. And when you do that, you'll see yourself. And what you see initially is not very pleasant. (laughs) And when you see yourself in the light of God's law, you'll want to change. You want to be different. You want to be like God and not as you find yourself. And this, getting back to the wide and easy path that leads to destruction and the narrow and the difficult path that leads to life, is the difference between the two ways of finding yourself. I grew up in a time in the 60s and early 70s where everybody was looking for themselves. And it seemed like the only place you could find yourself was in California. Everybody had to go to California to find themselves. That's where they left left themselves, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe maybe the self got up in the middle of the night and hopped on a plane and flew out to California and had to go and find themselves. And this always meant abandoning your responsibilities. It always seemed like, you know, you were not to be found with your kids or with your wife or your husband. You were to be found someplace else, not in your hometown, not at your job, not fulfilling your responsibilities. You know what I think was really going on with all that? Is people had found themselves and they didn't like what they saw and they were trying to escape themselves. They were running from themselves because they already knew what they were like. Take the advice given here by David. Learn to love God's law, condemn yourself, and in the process, look to God for deliverance and be genuinely transformed. Genuinely transformed. It'll take your entire life. It's like the old saying, the cost of living is high. But I want you to know it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see ourselves as we truly are in light of your law. And help us, Lord, to grow in grace. Deliver us, Lord, from ourselves, because we are so often our worst enemies. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.